Hey there, I'm Sarah Zarella, a portrait and wedding photographer and your host for Wedding Secrets Unveiled. This is a podcast where we cut through the complexity of wedding planning, leaving you with everything you need to know directly from the industry experts. If you want to simplify your wedding planning while having fun, of course, you came to the right place. Join me while I guide you through your planning, starting from your engagement to your big day where you say, I do. After photographing for the past 19 years, I am sharing with you tips and tricks to cut through the excess noise because I believe from the moment you said yes, your planning experience should be a magical time in your life. Here you will find episodes that are fun, stress-free, and straight to the point with a fresh, honest take on the reality of what you really need to know about planning your perfect day. Let's dive in. Well, welcome back to Wedding Secrets Unveiled podcast, friends. On today's episode, we are going to be talking a little bit about family dynamics, especially when it comes to your guest list, right? So you have the ring, you're planning your wedding, everything is bliss, and it should be bliss, but there's a lot of personalities involved. There's a lot of different family members involved. There's a guest list to think about. How big, how small do you want your wedding? Who's paying for it? And then there, there becomes the perspectives of the individuals that want to give their thoughts about your guest list. And we create some family dynamics. Today's guest, Margot Frazee, who's the owner of Harmony Creative Studio, really breaks down some practical tips on how to deal with the complexity of family dynamics when planning your wedding when it pertains to your guest list. So sit back, relax, as you absorb a wealth of knowledge as we help you navigate your family dynamic journey. Well, welcome back to Wedding Secrets Unveiled podcast, friends. I'm your host, Sarah Zarella, and today I have a very amazing guest, and we're talking about a a, a very important, I would say controversial topic a little bit, right? And today we're talking with Margot. Margot, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, who you serve, and what you do for your business? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me today, Sarah. Uh, my name is Margot Frazee. I am a wedding planner based in Los Angeles, California. My company is Harmony Creative Studio. We are a boutique wedding planning firm. That just means that now we service about eight to 10 couples per year, but I've been in business for over 12 years. So over the last 12 years, we've done over 180 weddings. So over the years, we've we've seen a lot of weddings, a lot of couples, a lot of families. So that's why I'm really excited to chat today about kind of family dynamics. You said it was a controversial topic. I think it's only become more controversial in the last couple of years as family strife, family dynamics, you know, politics, things like that have entered into the conversation. But there's always been a little family friction, a little family dynamic, woo, you know, wooey that that has been going on. Because I heard early on in my wedding career, somebody said something to me. They said, weddings make families do the wacky, which is like just the most perfect summation of it. Because I have seen the most lovely, otherwise very normal people do some very interesting things when it comes to families, weddings, all of that. So I am really looking forward to getting into this. Yeah, I love the topic. I mean, you being an event planner, right, and doing it for Mm -hmm. so many years, there's so many things that we could talk about. But I really enjoyed you know, th- coming up with this topic with you because I just feel it's it's there. Everybody has a family, so it's yeah. it's a topic for everybody. And yep. you know, it it is it is. I say controversial, but you say you know it, it's it's because you know why it is like especially being a photographer. Like I go go over the most simple thing, right? Which is just mm-hmm. the wedding must have sh- quote unquote photographic list, and <laughs> not not all the time. The majority of the time, there will be a family dynamic or a family situation that they just have to brief me in on very quickly because mm-hmm. there's something on the list that we have to be sensitive to or or I don't know there's just so there's so many angles to this so I am excited to just kind of dive right into it so with that said Margot can you tell me a little bit about some common challenges that you see couples get into when it comes to family dynamics I mean there's really two major ones that come up I think the one that 
kind of goes without saying, especially for kind of our age group, kind of millennial age group uh, dealing with uh, boomer parents is divorce, right? Uh, more than half of my couples have parents who are divorced. At least one set set of parents is divorced. And that is always a really common challenge when everything from who they're inviting, where they're sitting, you were talking about portraits, where they're standing, who can be in what photo is always a challenge, right? Um, some parents are better than others at keeping their ish together during a wedding. Uh, and so that's one, like the, the divorced parents is like the number one, right? And then the number two family dynamic that I see is that a lot of people have this concept of fairness. They want everything to be very fair between each family when ultimately that is a lose-lose prospect in my opinion, but it usually is only driven by one family, right? One family feels left out, one family. And that usually is because these are dynamics that existed before the wedding, right? Every family dynamic, everything that we're gonna talk about today. So you as, you as a listener, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Weddings don't make new problems. They are a, a, a like a vessel and a, a highlight of existing problems. Like people think that weddings are so stressful because planning a wedding, you know, there's all these problems. That's not exactly true. The wedding is just a very like, you know, concentrated, you know, highlighted version of whatever the problem is. So if you have a strained dynamic with your mother for whatever reason, a wedding is just going to take that and put, a, put it under a little microscope and like see every little dynamic that goes on. So I don't think that, I think that people enter, enter into it like, oh, the wedding's gonna cause all these problems. And I, as a wedding planner have found that that's not exactly true. A wedding just highlights whatever issues were already existing. Um, I just have to say, you kind of just nailed that on the head, right? Yeah. So first off, one, one of your, you know, first points in regards to somebody, you know, being separated or divorced. Can I yeah. just tell you, it's it's very, so when someone tells me, when I'm going through like my detail appointment, right? And I'm talking about mm -hmm. how your family's set up and how, you know, your family's set up and what pictures you want. When someone tells me that there is, both parents are together on both sides, that yeah. is not the exception. Yeah. I mean, sorry, that is the exception. That sorry. is the exception, yeah. I, Which is, you know, it, it, that is the exception. I was like, oh, okay, you know, and we, and we move on. So right. number one, like you said, you, you're dealing with mixed families and their separation. And you also, I think that's a great piece of advice that you're giving our listeners. So the listeners out there, like especially, you know, a lot of you are probably already struggling with this or may struggle with this. It's you, it didn't, the wedding didn't create it. It, it just, right. it's, it was there. And it just, you ha you're now dealing with the personalities, right? Right. It, because it's really the only situation, let's say you have uh, like other than other than graduations, really weddings and graduations are the only things where two older divorced people have to be together for the sake of their children. Like everything else is you can visit mom here, you can visit dad here. They don't have to be in the same room. Like graduations and weddings are kind of the only thing that they have to be together for. And weddings are a much more complicated dynamic. So there, there's all these things that come up and then the, the feelings get brought up and, and everything, everything gets brought up. I think that there, it, it's so funny because people are like, well, how do I deal with it? And I was like, I just kind of look around, you know, and I'm like, well, you talk to each other about it. It's so funny you brought you that know? up because I was going to say that was literally <laughs> <laughs> that was literally the question I was going to ask you is how do you typically approach a conversation with couples that potentially feel like they might have some conflicts or difficult family members? Right. I think that I as a wedding planner, just because I've seen so much of this over the years, I actually approach the very like first meeting, the very first, you know, planning thing with the couples I, uh, the same because I'm not going to assume anything about your families, right? So I always approach it from, you know, this is what I have seen will make things 
go much more smoothly. We'll make a much more stress-free process for you if you follow these couple simple things at the very beginning of the process. That is the most important thing. You have to do these things at the very beginning of the process because it is almost impossible to write the ship in the middle of planning. And one of the very first things that I give my couples is a first steps document. And it has a whole bunch of conversations they need to have amongst the, themselves that the couple needs to have and conversations that they need to have with their families. I tell them that they need to have these conversations in a very particular order. They need to have the conversations themselves first to decide what they want. Then they have to talk to their families individually, right? Person A, couple member A goes to talk to their family, couple member B goes to talk to their family and get kind of the, the lay of the land. What do families expect? What do parents expect? You know, are they helping to pay? You know, you're talking about finances. You're talking about guest lists. You're talking about their roles. You're talking about how involved they want to be in the planning, in the wedding day. And then once you have, you know, your the couple's wants and the family's needs, you know, individually, then you can go into a conversation with everyone together. Where I see a lot of problems is when people skip one of the first two steps and then they go into this conversation with the families. And if you think your family has some dynamics, then you put it together with another family that has another entirely different set of dynamics, you know, whether you think you know that family or not, because you're marrying into it, you know. So I think that it's it's a delicate balance of having a conversation and actually hearing the other party, because one of the other problems is mom says she wants X. And then the couples are like, nah, but she doesn't really. Yeah, she does, or she wouldn't tell you, you know? So I think that you have to have, that's my that's my first thing. Like my first big strategy that I, that I employ with my couples is just to have very purposeful conversations at the very beginning of the process, before you do a guest list, before you do a seating chart, before you do your photo list, before you figure out who's walking you down the aisle. You have these conversations with your respective families and together so that you can all be on the same same field because when problems arise most often is when couples get to a certain point and then oh mom wants to invite the entire bridge club i didn't know that puts a wrench in everything well did you talk to her about it beforehand <laughs> like i just i don't know what to tell people you know you have to have very solid communication solid conversations about what people want to happen, what they expect to happen, what they think will happen. That's my like top writing piece of advice. And you mentioned a couple of times guest list. That was kind of yeah. a common theme that you kept seeing. Are you like, mm -hmm. so it must you must see a lot of this starting to come out when you do start to talk about a guest list. Yeah, I mean that's where it starts, right? And I think that people people try to start with the guest list again before they have these conversations. So they, the couple goes into it, I've, I've seen, and, and they have an idea of who they want to invite. And then they go to the parents and the parents are like, no, we have to invite so-and-so. We have to invite the neighbor. We have to invite this person who was around when you were a child, but you haven't seen for 20 years. Like they have different ideas about who's going to be involved in what they consider a special day for themselves as well, not just a special day for you as the couple. Guest list dynamics, are things that I, we have a whole sheet that I like upload to our kind of project management thing when we're working with our couples that is all about guest list dynamics, including, because people have a lot of questions, not only with family, but like family adjacent people, you know, like friends, godparents, bosses, people that your parents have worked with, you know, all of this, like there's, there's family and there's family adjacent. And I always say that you have to have kind of a strategy going in. First of all, you would have hopefully had some conversations about budget and your event expectations. Do you want a small intimate wedding? Do you want a big blowout with 500 people? You know, you as the couple have to make that that, that decision firsthand. You have to have that conversation. Then you can turn to the parents and say, we really want to keep things intimate. We really want to have less than 100 people. We've done our guest list. We're at 70. 
that leaves 30 people for the rest of the family to invite. Who would you want to invite, right? I always say, have open-ended questions. Who do you want to invite? In a perfect world, who would you want to invite? Not starting the conversation with, you get eight invites. Who are those people, right? Even though that's what you might be thinking in your head, you don't necessarily need to say that first thing. You just need to get a lay of the land, right? Because when you do it that way, then the other person, your parents, your godparents, family adjacent, whatever, they are not coming from it from a point of view of feeling stuck or feeling like they're getting less than or that they're being put in a box. You're opening up a dynamic. And then if the parents come and say, we want 20 people, you can say, well, who are these people? Who are they to you? Do I know these people? You know, I personally... One of the worst parts of my personal wedding was when my husband's friend wanted to invite a date that I had never met before. And I was like, who is this person? And he was like, don't worry about it. You'll never see this person. And then I just let it go, but it became this big strife, right? But <laughs> I always think that you should have these conversations again before you finalize anything and come to it from an open-ended sense so that you're not, again, like putting people on the defensive because that is where a lot of family challenges happen. When you go into these conversations, putting your loved one on the defensive to start out with, you know, you only get five people. Who are those five people gonna be? Instead of having an open-ended conversation about in a perfect world, who would you invite and why? And then going from there. So that's like top line guest list advice, but there, there's a bunch of other little nuances in it, right? Like people, <laughs> People have a lot of thoughts about who they want to invite. And I always suggest a tiered system. Have you ever have you ever heard of a tiered guest system? No, actually I have not. Explain that a little bit. So I think when people go into it thinking about their family in tiers, right? Who are those essential core immediate family members that you would be heartbroken would not show up at a wedding? And that's different for everyone. That could include grandparents, it could not. It could include godparents and aunts and uncles, and cousins, it could not. And then it kind of goes out from there, right? So there's like the intimate, the core family, your must have of your extended family, and then the, okay, we can fit these people if we have room. And that's how I suggest our couples look at it is like a tiered system, right? Like one, two, three tiers of invitations. What so and that goes on both sides. So you suggest that both the, sides. But yeah. so you so you suggest that the couple walks in with this tier system. That I, I would assume that that actually also helps people understand where they're going to land a little bit on the no, number. Because honestly, the more I'm listening to you talk, you know, it's interesting because the dynamics and family dynamics, like you said, it really can start around the guest list. You know, some people, I would think that the couple has the idea of what they picture their wedding to be. Like, mm-hmm. I hear people say, I really want a small, intimate one, or I want a big wedding. But now you have the families, and all of a sudden, this can start to sway what the couple wants, right? And you have two families. So if you start yeah. with this tier system that you're talking about, they can at least see where they land, what they, what people's ideas and thoughts are, right? And then you're going right. to might have to start either adding or taking things away. Yeah. I mean, usually most couples will end up with the first two tiers, right? They definitely want their immediate family and they want those kind of first tier extended family members that they consider to be very close with, right? It's the extended tier that is quite a, a, a question mark, right? Like people don't know about extended families. And that's where we often see a problem when one family is larger than another family. I was literally because, just about to say that because I was, yeah. I, you took the words out of my mouth. I was about <laughs> to go, because the reason why I was thinking about your tier system is that may work and all with a family that's smaller, right. but you got a family where mom has six sisters and you know dad yeah. has is one of seven. You got another family that they're the only, only child. I, what happens there when you have one family and we're not even at the extended family yet. So right. what happens when you have one family that just is really monopolizing the guest list? Well, I can actually come from that from a very personal perspective because my family is very small and my husband's family is very large. So I actually dealt with this when I personally was getting married because I have my parents and my sister. My parents are still married. Uh, my grandparents on both sides are sadly already deceased. 
my aunts and uncles, I'm not super close with, but I allowed my parents to invite them. That's six whole people, right? So when we're talking about that, that's the people that I wanted to invite on my family side came to 10 people, including including myself, right? That's my <laughs> that's my whole family. My father, or my father, my, my father, my husband. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I was um, say, where where are you from? <laughs> <Not to. laughs> my my husband, um, my husband's parents are divorced. His father is remarried. His mother is not. Uh, they have his father has nine brothers and sisters. His mother has six brothers and sisters. So when you're talking about aunts, uncles. He also, I'm from Los Angeles, but my husband is from a small town in Iowa, which means that he actually grew up with all of these people. He grew up with the cousins that are all, the cousins that are, are within one or two years of him. He considers them siblings because he grew up with these people. So your so, tier system that you were just talking yeah. about. <laughs> my, is... tier, my tier system is is a little askew, right? So we had to come to this this agreement he and i which is we definitely wanted all of our you know intimate family members right for him that would be himself his parents his stepmother his uh siblings and at the time his sister's two children now there are more children involved but when we got married there were two children so it was a you know but then he decided that his own personal tier system would be the actual cousins that he considers kind of those sibling dynamics, right? Which were six people, six cousins. My cousins don't fall into that category because we did not grow up together. We're not that close. I did not care either way if they were at my wedding. They don't live anywhere near me. They didn't end up coming. But if he had invited all of his cousins, that's 32 people. That's all of his cousins. But he decided that his cousins, some of whom are twice his age, some of whom are 15 years younger than him, they didn't fall into that you know, category of the extended family members, right? But we had to have that conversation because his parents had a little bit different idea about who was going to be invited, right? So he and I came to that decision and then we went into the conversations with our family. Like we really wanna have a more intimate wedding these are the people that we would really love to be there. What do you think about this? And then we got some feedback from his family and we allowed his dad to invite some more additional family members. But what we said for him to, that, to him was, we have budgeted for a certain amount of catering for a certain amount of people. If we're going to invite a whole other part of your family, that is adding 25 people to our catering bill that equals eight thousand dollars and because he's a very wonderful man he's a very reasonable person my father-in-law said because i want to invite these people and i'm adding this to your bill i'm going to help you with this and he actually paid for all those extra people to come to our event but this is all part of a conversation that we had at the beginning so that we weren't having this conversation four months out from our event when we're deep in planning and he says, I want to invite 25 other people, you know, like we were having this conversation at the beginning so that we could handle these dynamics, handle these wants on his end. You know, that's a want from him. That's not a need. We didn't need to invite some of these family members. That's a, that's a want on his end. Right. But again, you have to talk about these things at the beginning of the process where you can fix things. It's a whole lot it's a whole lot easier to fix things at the beginning than it is in the middle of the process when 25 additional guests maybe you know handed to you. So before we take a break and yeah. I figured when we get back from the break we can really get into a, a lot of the like some actual situations that sure. you know you've helped couples with. Can you go over a little bit about how um can, or, or sorry can you go over a little bit about giving us some examples of how you helped couples navigate this you said for example one was the they they were going to pay for the extra guest that they were right that right. happened in our family and that's what happened yeah. in your family what's some other examples that you've helped people solve this guest list you know uh, tier system that we're we're talking about right now Right. I think that we had, I did a wedding very early on in my career and that this was what kind of like, like brought me to like have attention on family dynamics. Um, it was, it was a, a, a cultural wedding in, in Los Angeles. There, it's a blend of many different cultures. This particular couple was the, the bride was Lebanese 
and her family was very large, right? The groom's family was not. Her family was very large. And she, her, her father was talking about inviting the Council of Lebanon, like all of these people that she had never met before. And so I asked her, I said, well, what do you think about this? And she said, I think that I wouldn't be able to have the wedding that I want if my father wasn't footing the majority of the bill, right? So for a lot of these conversations with our couples, when I'm talking about, when I'm when I'm trying to help them navigate some family dynamics, I say, some of the things you're going to have to, it's a, it's a give and take, right? You may not necessarily want 100% of what your parents want. Your parents may not want 100% of what you want, but it is a little give and take depending on how much you depend on their help, either financially, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, mostly financially, but like some of these other things too. Because she was saying, I really don't want to invite all of these people, but I also know that I can't have the wedding that I want to have without my father footing the bill for the majority of it, because it was a very large wedding. It was very, it was a very large budget and it was a very large guest list because of that. And to him, it was worth it to pay this extra money to have all these extra people. And so I had to ask her, is it worth it to you to have some of these people at your wedding who you may not know, who you may just, they, you know, they may be filler, they're just friends of your parents. Is it, will? are you willing to have those people there to get those beautiful flowers or that raw bar that you want or the, the, the you know, thousands of thousands of dollars worth of flowers, whatever it is. And she said, yes, it's worth it to me. So that's one of the things that I, I kind of help our, our couples navigate in a general sense is, is it worth it for you to have this argument? First of all, right? Like, is it worth it for you to have the argument? Or is it something that you are okay with to get the end result that you want? Sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no, right? She could have come back to me, and some of our couples have come back to me and said, we've decided to pay for the entire event ourselves so that we don't have to deal with these things that our parents want that we don't want. We absolutely don't want this, right? And that was a choice that they were making for themselves. One of my couples actually ended up pushing their wedding back a whole year so that they could pay for it entirely themselves because there was a strained relationship between the bride and her mother. And she wanted, the bride wanted to be able to call 100% of the shots, right? Well, in order to do that, she had to pay for 100% of the wedding herself. So sometimes it's a give and take. Sometimes you take your parents out of the equation, but she had, I when she did that, I said, you're gonna have to have a talk with your mother about this, right? Before you you go about this, you can't just call her up and be like, hey, you're out, you know? Because again, that's putting your loved ones on the defensive. But I said, you need to call your mother. You need to have this conversation. They had a conversation. Everybody felt good about it. And the planning actually went off very, very well because of that. Because mom knew the parts that she was going to be involved with. And because she had come to this realization that her, her child was growing up and she was going to pay for this event herself, she kind of took a step back. So from an overall perspective, it's about the the push and pull of deciding what you want, what you what you'd be okay giving up to get what you want. Because like a marriage, right, is a little give and take, is a little push and pull. Sometimes dealing with your family is the same way. And also too, it's it's like you you have to shift your perspective. It, you know, one of those uh, the way you look at these, you know, controversial you know, situations happening, I mean, it doesn't have to be controversial. It's just a perspective. Like you explained about one of your couples where her father really wanted, you know, the, the city invited. Well, right. is it important enough to ask him to politely and have a conversation and to remove that? Or would you like the flowers or would you like, because you got to follow the money trail, right? So, right. And, and, and also too, you just want to, you know, you might be, or even if it's not the money, is it important enough to make him unhappy? Right. So you got to right, think about right. that. So yes. what we'll do is we'll take a quick break. And when we get in back from the break, I would really like to talk a little bit about actual situations 
that you have dealt with in regards to how you recommend couples handle situations when a family member or a friend that they're considering inviting has, is, has fallen out. Yes, yeah. fallen out or not engaged. Also, too, you know, when we get back from our break, I would love for you to go over with the listeners a little bit about how you recommend couples approached their guest list if they have limited space. So we'll do a little bit more of like, you know, actual hands-on tangible situations. So we'll come right back after the break. I appreciate you being here. And hey, if you like what you're hearing, I encourage you to check out our website at sarahzarella.com. And don't forget, you can actually subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. And I would so appreciate if you left a fabulous review on Apple Podcast. Even better, share it with a friend. It's a great way to show your support. And now, let's get back to the episode. Well, welcome back to Wedding Secrets Unveiled Podcast, friends. So before the break, we were talking with Margo. We were going over a little bit about family dynamics, particularly when it comes with the guest list. So with that said, can you tell our listeners a little bit about some... Practical tips and some examples, I would say, when it comes to the guest list, I was actually thinking over the break a little bit about potential cultural religious differences. I'm sure that happens because we talked about the money trail, but what about the actual beliefs? You know, it's interesting. And I think I think I'm in a good position to talk about this because I'm in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a big cultural melting pot. We have done many weddings, 50 plus, where the the two parties to the wedding have a different either cultural background religious background or they haven't grown up in the same country you know things like that um we did a wedding once where the bride was um of chinese descent her parents were born in china she was born in the u.s we have a lot of couples that are themselves kind of second first generation or second generation American and their families have very specific ideas about what the wedding should entail right there are often um, religious ceremonies in this particular case obviously the Chinese tea ceremony was very very important to her parents he was not Chinese (laughs) so he he was a, a Caucasian from the U.S. And his parents didn't quite understand the the tea ceremony, right? So they had to kind of decide individually, again, first themselves. I said, first, you have to decide what you want to do. Do you want to have the tea ceremony? Do you want to have it be a separate day? Do you want to have it be part of your actual ceremony? In today's modern world, I would say there is no wrong way to incorporate religious and and cultural stuff. It's all about your family's perception, right? So you first have to come to a decision on what they wanted to do. So they decided that they didn't want to have a whole separate day. Like they didn't want to have the tea ceremony as a separate thing. They just wanted to kind of have a nod to it, a nudge during their actual ceremony. So they went to first the bride's parents because they, this was their cultural tradition. And they said, Having a different having a different tea ceremony day will cause us to spend another X amount of dollars. It, there'll be a whole nother guest list. You know, they were getting married at a very expensive hotel resort in Orange County here in, in California. In order to have this separate event, it was going to be literally another $30,000, right? Like that's kind of the thing. And they said, we don't really want to have that. We would rather just incorporate it during our actual ceremony, right? Do you have a problem with that? And surprisingly, the parents were like, no, that's great. We kind of thought that you may not do it at all. So we were, we're just glad that you're going to do this. You're going to give a nod, a nod to our, our cultural background. And it was interesting because they had all this fear going into it. Well, she did, not him, not so much, but she had a lot of fear going into it that they were going to be very against this, right? But they didn't. But that's part of it because they had they had an expectation, which not is not always there, right? Like you don't always know the cultural expectations. You could have a, an idea that your parents want something they don't really want or that they just assumed you weren't going to have and had already made their peace with it, right? So they went into that conversation. Her parents were fine with it. They went into conversations with his parents and his parents were like, oh, that sounds really interesting. You know, yeah, of of course, we would love to be involved with that because the tea ceremony involves both sets of parents, 
right? So both sets of parents have to be involved in it and grandparents if they're involved. But it was one of those things where just having the conversations about it made everything okay, as opposed to them coming into the conversation and saying, this is how it's going to go. We've decided, you know, as opposed to like, what do you think about this? And then both parents were like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, even though they had to explain to his parents what was involved, you know, we had to do mm -hmm. kind of some background stuff on that. It all worked out fine, even though they went into it thinking there was going to be a lot more problems than there were. Right. Now, that's a great piece of advice. What about children? I'm sure that's another dynamic that comes up when it, in regards to the families and their dynamics and the guest list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always tell people, it's up to you to decide. We've had weddings where people 100% did not want children at their wedding. They were like, this is an adults only affair. This is what we're doing. And we've had other couples that are like, we love kids. We can't wait to have kids. Or maybe they have kids already themselves. And kids were going to play a big role in their event. Again, the couple needs to decide first. And then, be, because I believe that everyone deserves to have the wedding that they want, right? First and foremost, whatever that is. But let's say you've decided not to have children. And then you kind of go into the conversations. And what I see a lot, I haven't really experienced it in our planning, but I, I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups for couples because I'm always looking for kind of what the the problem du jour is with, with couples right now. And we can definitely get into what I what I think the problem du jour is. But what usually happens is I'll see people like, we've decided not to have kids and my mom has a lot of feelings about it, you know? Or she, my cousin's coming in from out of town and she has kids and she doesn't know what to do and she thinks it's unfair that she can't bring her children, right? I think if you do a little bit of work on the front end, if you're deciding not to have children, to first of all, think about what, what exactly, what, how big of a problem are we talking about, right? So our couples that don't decide they don't want to have children, I say, think about your guests, think about how many children you're talking about. Are you talking about three children or are you talking about 30 children that you would be excluding from your event you know and then you think about like would it be good for us to pave the road of of good intentions with a babysitter you know setting up a babysitter at the hotel if that's in your budget like some of these things that may help to like you know pave the road in terms of like people's people's irritation with you not allowing their children to be at their event, right? I think a lot of people come into the children conversation with, this is what we've decided for our event and you can take it or leave it. And while that seems like a perfectly reasonable stance for you to have, it's not being seen as perfectly reasonable by people who have small children who that is 100% of what they're thinking about all day long when you have small children. I don't have small children, but I assume and from my from people I know that when you have small children, that is a hundred percent of what they're thinking about. Well, right. I mean, when you're when you're taking care of, you know, little ones, that is yeah. you. That is exactly the top of your mind. So that mm -hmm. is a good piece of advice. It's just kind of like you may have decided something, but instead of just being like, "This is it," you, you, just a little conversation, you know, goes a long way. And and one of our couples, they decided not to have children, and she was very concerned about it. And I was like, "Well, how many children are we talking?" And she said, two. And I said, well, why don't you call the parents of those two children, since we're only talking about two phone calls, have a, have a personal conversation with them, tell them your reasoning and, and have a conversation like a human, you know, and it'll be fine. And it went a long way with those two parents being okay about the situation. Again, that may not be possible if you're talking about 30 conversations, right? So you have to, you have to, you have to get the scope of the problem with children, I say. Well, we talked a little bit about religion. We talked a little bit about children. What mm -hmm. about when, when you're dealing with some families and dynamics when people have a falling out or they become estranged? Yes, that is the the wedding problem du jour, right? That is something that I have noticed is really prob really prevalent right now with the you know political divide, the thinking divide in our country. No matter what side you're on, you probably have family members that are on the opposite side of that thinking, whatever that is, just because that's what happens, right? Here in Los Angeles, we deal with a lot of 
of people who have moved to Los Angeles from other places. Los Angeles is obviously a very liberal place. And a lot of their family members are not so much, right? And that is causing some strife at, at this particular time. My biggest advice is to know, you know your people. That's like an overriding piece of advice for group dynamics, right? You know your people. Can Uncle Bob keep his ish together for one day? Right? Like you know the answer to that question. If you really, if you re if you're really honest with yourself, you can you can figure out if Uncle Bob, who may be a little bit estranged, but can Uncle can Uncle Bob keep his his stuff together for one day? And if the answer is really no, really truly no in your mind, and you know it's gonna be a problem, then sadly you may not have you may not invite Uncle Bob, right? I'm not saying you're cutting Uncle Bob out of your life. I'm not saying that you don't love Uncle Bob. I'm just saying that if you know in your heart of hearts that this person cannot be counted on to be a mature adult for one day and hold back their whatever leanings they have and they're not screaming, you know, like you just have to be honest with yourself. That's like my main piece of advice when people are kind of estranged, right? You know these people or sometimes we had a, a wedding uh, like two or three years ago, right before the pandemic. And she said, well, I thought I knew this person, but now I'm not so sure. And I don't, I don't quite know what to do. Right. And it's like, you have to sit with yourself and say, do I really want this person at my wedding? Will I be very sad 10 years from now that they were not involved? Right. And if the answer is truly yes, then you should invite them you know, and roll the dice. If you think you're going to be really heartbroken that this person was not at your event. But on the other hand, if you think that this person that you're estranged, if you're only inviting them because you're expected to invite them, then maybe talk to the people that you think are expecting you to invite them. If we're talking about Uncle Bob and Uncle Bob is your brother's, your mother, your father's brother, right? Then you go to your father and you say, would you how would you feel about me not inviting Uncle Bob because of reasons X, Y, Z that we've decided to do? And if your father's response is, I'm fine with this, then that's what you do, right? But if your father's response is, I'd really love to have Uncle Bob, whatever, then you have a deeper conversation about it. Again, when people go into these conversations and say, I'm not inviting Uncle Bob under any circumstances, then that's where you have a lot of defensiveness and a lot of pushback. Right. And then also, too, you know, in regards to dealing with some situations where someone assumes that they're being invited to the wedding, you know, versus yeah. not versus they're not they're not included into that <laughs> guest guest list. That kind of goes hand in hand with what you were just saying. So how yeah. how do you recommend where, you know, like say you were just talk, talking about, you know, someone assumes that they're going to be invited or, you know, what do you recommend in situations and how do you deal with a situation like that? So I think that sometimes this goes hand in hand with the the conversation about children in the, in the sense that my biggest advice about this is to not lie about why you're not inviting that person. Ooh, good tip. Good tip. Tell us why. Number the number one reason is families talk, right? <laughs> if you have told, you know, cousin Susie that she's not going to be at your wedding because there's you know, the old friends episode there's limited space in the hall and then, you know, other cousin Mary Jane comes to the wedding and that that is not the case, Susie's going to find out about it, right? Like same thing with uh, children. Don't lie and say your venue does not allow children if that is in fact not the case because it will be found out and it will become a bigger problem down the line. Oh, also too, just a, a, like a hard tidbit right here. Like don't lie about that because all of a sudden, like, Uncle Joe is going to see another venue, I mean, another picture at that venue where there's children there. So you, you're, right. you're right. You just have to lead forward. It's a hard truth. It's a hard truth, but you just have to lead forward with the conversation. Yeah. When I see that advice on on all these Facebook groups, I, I have to pipe up because people are like, well, just say that the children can't be there. And I was like, do you really want to be found out one week before the wedding? Yeah, that that's not the exactly. case? And then that person is real pissed, you know? So it's always a lot easier to have a conversation that involves the, the not the not the real emotional whatever reason that you may not be inviting this person, 
But if it is space, then that's the reason, right? If it is that you are trying to be fair to your partner's family and they don't have a lot of extended relatives and you're kind of keeping the guest list small, then say that, you know? What I also recommend is if it's someone that really feels like they should be involved, if it is someone that really feels like they want to celebrate with you, make some plans to celebrate with that person, right? Like they only want to be involved. They only, they feel a little left out. So let them know, Hey, I understand, you know, it sucks that we can't invite everyone that we want to invite. You know, I would love to get on the calendar and, and, you know, come and stay at your house for a weekend and like celebrate or like whatever it is. Right. Because the only thing is that they're feeling left out. So if this person is actually important to you and they just can't come to the wedding for whatever reason, then try to make a point to celebrate with them individually so they still feel part of the process. That's a great piece of advice right there, too, because, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, the, the topic that we're talking about today is family dynamics and, you know, it, especially when it pertains to the guest list. But you know what? It sounds like a common theme of some practical advice that you've been giving your couples and that you're sharing with our listeners is a lot to do with communication. And when oh, you yeah. have that communication and you really find out why somebody, you know, wants to be involved or why someone wants to include somebody or why they want this guest list to be this big, you know, you mm-hmm. know, you can find an answer. Sometimes it doesn't have to be from the wedding day. So if someone's just yeah. feeling a little left out and they, and they just value you and, but they're just not available to come to this wedding, whether it be a budget or size or just, they just didn't make the list because sometimes what people don't realize is once you start inviting one person, you have the other side of the family too. Like you start open up that floodgates and it goes to your tier system that you explained. So you got to be careful. So maybe just like you said, like, you know, figuring out a solution that doesn't have to do with the wedding day, like hanging out with them later on, getting on the calendar. Great pieces of advice. All right, Margo. So it's time for our wrap up question. I could sit here all day and chit chat. What final three pieces of advice would you have with someone struggling with their family and in-laws during the wedding planning journey? Well, again, I think it, it does go back to communication. That's always my number one. Number one tip is communication, right? Because without communication, you're doing a lot of assuming, you're filling in a lot of the gaps with anxiety, right? Why don't you just have the conversation as opposed to feeling anxious about it, right? Nine times out of 10, it will make it better. In those few instances, it doesn't. At least you'll come away with more information to help you make a decision. So communication is definitely one. The second one, I don't want people to gloss over the fact where I said, first, you have to talk to your partner and come into your event as a united front. One of the key ways that I see people being influenced by their family or outside factors is when they are not very clear with their partner about what they want and come into the conversation as a united front. So I definitely didn't want people to like gloss over that. I wanted to mention that again, that is key. That is the very first thing you should be doing, right? People think they have to have a conversation about everything, every little piece of everything. And in reality, in the beginning, you just have to cover those points of like, very overridingly, what kind of wedding do you want? Where do you want it to happen? Who do you want to be there? What do you want the feeling to be? It can be as loose as we know we want our wedding to be in Philadelphia. We know we want it to be in the summertime. We know we want it to be a big blowout with everyone we know. And like, that's it. That that could be all the information that you have. But then you, you let that, those key things that you have come as a united front, you let that inform all of the other decisions. So that's the second thing, coming in as a united front. And then the third thing is knowing your people, right? People always ask me as a, I've made the decision as a wedding planner not to handle the RSVPs, which a lot of wedding planners do. And when couples ask me why they don't do that, my answer is very simple because I don't know your people. I don't know if you care that I have not received an RSVP from cousin Susie. I don't know that. Only you know that. So you have to really know your people and be honest about your people. Can they behave? Can they be trusted? Will they help you? All of these things you inherently know about your people. And here's here's another really, really key piece of advice. Your people are not going to change because it's your wedding. 
They are not going to all of a sudden become different people who behave differently because this is important to you. That is not how humans behave. And I can tell you with some utmost certainty, over the 180 weddings that we have planned, no one has gone into it thinking that their Uncle Bob is not going to be able to behave and then Uncle Bob actually behaves. Like that's not how it, how it goes. Because I would love to say that humans will be able to know that something is super important to you and they will behave accordingly, but that's not true. And that's coming from someone whose own sister forgot about her bridal shower because that's inherently who she is, right? Like your people are not going to suddenly change. So knowing your people and having some realistic expectations of your people as you plan is very, very key with family, family dynamics with weddings. That is some solid advice, my friend. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Wedding Secrets Unveiled. You helped our listeners become one step closer to their journey of a stress-free wedding planning. Can you tell everybody where they could find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Instagram is kind of my my favorite thing. Um, I'm not on threads, not on TikTok. I don't know. I'm just not there yet. But Instagram, you can find me at Harmony Creative. Or if you're in Los Angeles and what I've said sounds like it resonates with you, you can check out more information about our planning company at www.harmonycreativestudio.com. And what I will do for our, all of our listeners, we will have Margot's information on our episode show notes, which you can find on our blog and also on our website page, which is at sarazarella.com backslash podcast. So thank you so much, Margot. I hope that you listeners out there have some really great solid advice about dealing with those fabulous family dynamics, especially when you start venturing into the lovely guest list. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wedding Secrets Unveiled. I appreciate you being here. And hey, if you enjoyed this episode, I want to tell you something. I encourage you to check out our website at sarahzarella.com. We love photographing while having fun, of course. Check out our podcast page on our website for our show notes, along with upcoming episodes with your local wedding experts. Listen in as we help you plan your epic event. And don't forget that you can actually subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate if you left a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Even better, share it with a friend. It's a great way to show your support and let us know what you think. If you know any wedding experts that would like to be a guest, we have a link directly on our website where they can let us know. Thank you for listening.